Well, our main uh, scripture reading today is uh, Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to turn over there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's printed for you in the bulletin. Uh, we're continuing the series in Ephesians, and I think today uh, this sermon is very appropriate uh, to our church. Uh, we are in the midst of Hope Course Weekend here at Greater Hope. Uh, we've been walking with about, uh, including kids, about 20 people uh, in the current Hope Course uh, which has been pretty awesome. Uh, we met Friday night, Saturday morning, and we'll meet the last uh, session today after the 11 service for lunch. Uh, and they're working through what, uh, what we believe as a church and what it means to be a part of the church. And here, uh, Paul in this passage tells us why the church is such good news. Why it's such good news. Uh, let me read and I'll explain that uh, statement today. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Paul says something uh, pretty astonishing about the church in the, these verses. and In fact, he says a few things that I think are kind of astonishing, and uh, we'll talk about all of them today. But there's one main one that really sticks out to me there in verse 22, if you'll look at it. Paul says this, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, I could imagine Paul saying that in a different way than he says it. You know, and the way that I might be more prone to say it is, Hey, Ephesians, good job. Keep working hard. You guys are building the house of God in Ephesus. Good job. Keep building. But instead of saying that, he says to the Ephesians, you are being built into a house for God. Do you see the difference? Uh, what's the difference between building something and being built into something? It's who's doing it, right? In the one case, if I'm building something, it's me doing it. I'm building it, or we're building it. In the other case, we are the ones being builded by someone else. We are being constructed and put back together again. That's an astonishing thing to think about when it comes to the church. What defines the church on earth and the church in heaven, the church everywhere, is not so much, or not primarily, what we do. What defines the church is what God does in us and on us and through us. Which is why I'll, I'll make this statement. And I think, uh, you know, you hear me talk about this topic a lot. And sometimes, actually, I'm afraid that I talk about it too much, the church, because I love the church. But it is striking that when you go through the Bible, like we tend to do, we read through and preach books of the Bible, how often the church comes up. It is kind of striking when you think about it. Maybe a little bit of it is just my own personal passion. But I think a lot of it is it just comes up a lot. And, and we need to wrestle with it and grapple with it. I'll make this statement. Belonging to the church is part of the good news of the gospel. Part of the good news of Jesus Christ, which we believe is what the whole Bible is about, 
is about belonging to the family, belonging to the church that God is building. I mean, even Solomon, uh, Tim read to us from the, the book of Chronicles, Solomon built the house of God. He did it. He built it. He designed it. Or his, his father David designed it, and he built it is a better way to say it. But after it was built, what did God say to Israel? I mean, it's almost like he said, hey, the building is done, but the being built is just getting started. Because y'all, the nation, people, y'all need to come to this house, turn from your sins, and pray to me in this house. And when y'all pray to me in this house, I'm going to show up and be there and build you into a nation. Do you see? It's so much more important that we are being built than that we're built, that we're building. That we're being built versus building. And that is what makes belonging to the church part of the gospel and part of the good news. Let me give you three reasons today. If you'll look in your bulletin, there are three reasons why belonging to the church is good news. First of all, the privilege of the church shows us that. Secondly, the pattern of the church shows us. And then lastly, the purpose of the church shows us that. The privilege, the pattern, and the purpose. First of all, the privilege. Uh, Look at verse 19. Verse 19, where Paul describes the privilege. Now, sometimes... Or there are some things that you can't experience without experiencing them together with other people. Right? Y'all follow me? There are other things that you can experience just fine on your own. You can probably think of different activities that fall into both categories. Well, Paul in verse 19 points out that the greatest privilege of church members or the greatest privilege of Christians is by definition something that can't be experienced by yourself. Look at what he says. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, or with God's holy people, and members of the household or the family of God. I mean, no matter what you think about those two things, citizenship and family, no matter what you think about them, you have to admit you can't do either of those things alone. Can you be a citizen of a nation of one? No. Of course not, right? There's no, it would have no, the word would have no meaning if that were the case. Can you have a family of one to which you belong? No. Family, by definition, is more than one person, right? Gathered together on some basis. And Paul is saying here, when you come to Jesus, when you came to Jesus, Ephesians, and he would say the same to us, when we come to believe in Jesus, a radical thing happens. A radical change of life happens. And that change of life is very, very relational. It's a relational change. It's, first of all, a change between our relationship with God, us and God, but it, by extension, also completely, radically transforms our relationship with other people. And the words he uses to describe that change are strangers and aliens, which is what you were before, and then now fellow citizens and members of the family, which is what you are now. You are no longer the one. It is done. You've made a clean break with it, and you've moved on. And now, now and forever, you are this. You are a citizen with God's holy people and a part of God's holy household and family. Relational change, a change of intimacy. 
In fact, um, the words aliens and strangers, are those good words or bad words? Yeah, does anybody want to be called a stranger? Or to feel like a stranger? Does anybody actually? Does anybody want to be called an alien? In fact, those words are, are kind of so, so bad that we have gotten away from using those words, you know, in our culture. Because from the time you're, you're a kid, you know, you're taught stranger danger. You know, don't talk to strangers. Don't take candy from strangers. And so to call someone a stranger is now almost considered an insult. Same with alien. I mean, you know, to call someone an alien is basically like you're from a different planet. You're, you're a different kind of species than we are. And so we've kind of gotten away from using that, and, and probably rightfully so. But Paul means it here. He means those words, like, and he means them with all the offense that they come with. Apart from Jesus Christ, you really are stranger danger to yourself and others and completely stranger to God. God I mean, you may know God on some level, like you know there is a God, but you don't know God. You're a stranger. And God doesn't know you in the sense that he's in an intimate relationship with you because you're a stranger with him apart from Jesus. And he also means alien. I mean, it's like you are a complete, you have turned yourself, even though you were made in the image of God with great dignity and worth as a human, you've turned, we have all turned our humanity into something very twisted and ugly, alien to what God originally intended. And because we're strangers and aliens with God, we end up being strangers and aliens to each other. But it says, now, you are something far better. Fellow citizens with saints, you have now received citizenship with all the rights and the privileges and, and the responsibilities that come along with that. Not only are you citizens, though, he amps it up even more. You have been made sons and daughters, which is what it means to be a member of the household. It means you're not a... You're not a contract worker for the household. You're not a servant, you know, a slave in the household. You are a son and daughter, a member, a card-carrying member of God's family with all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities that that entails. And, and, and y'all, that is very, very good news. Very good news. Part of the healing that you need in your life spiritually and otherwise Part of the healing that we all need is the healing that comes from belonging. Y'all hear me? The healing that comes from belonging. Sometimes we think, you know, spirituality, I'm a spiritual person. That just means all I need is a, just a connection with God privately alone in my house, keeping it to myself. But if that's, if that's the kind of engagement you're going to have with God, there are aspects of the healing of your soul and the healing of your life as God intended it to be that you just simply will not be able to taste because part of the healing is learning how to be a person who loves God and loves neighbor. And also, this is maybe even harder, someone who knows how to receive unmerited love from God and also unmerited love from neighbor. I mean, it, is, it actually is very good for the human heart to be treated better than they deserve. 
But that is actually a lot of times the last thing we want to be treated better than we deserve because it makes us feel so, what's the word, needy? Like a, undeserved, like a, like a charity case? We would rather be treated well and to know that we're being treated well because we've earned it. We've put in what was required to get it. And Paul says, no, you were strangers and aliens. Didn't deserve any of that, but you've been brought in all the way, not just to citizenship, but to familyship. And that belonging is a part of the reason for which Jesus Christ died on the cross. The reason why Jesus Christ rose from the dead was to bring us back together at one with God. How is a father supposed to care for his household? Attentive? Sacrificial? Can you think of any other words? Attentive, sacrificial, joyful, what? Generous, loving. When it says here, I mean, just get this in your mind this morning. I and mean, this would, this could blow your mind if you understood it fully and brought it, not just understood it, but brought it into your heart. If we are members of the household of no less than God, how good do you think God is at the fatherly care that we so often are not good at? And you are under that care by faith in Jesus. He's attentive to his people. He's attentive to his church. He's generous. I mean, all the things that we just said. He's joyful. He rejoices over us in his love. He watches us even in our distresses and in our weaknesses. And yes, loves us even in our sins and failures. And is constantly working to, for our good and to reconcile us back to him when we get out of sorts. And to get us to reconcile with each other when we get sideways with each other. He's constantly working because he's a good, good father. And we are under that care in an amazing miracle of transformation. Belonging to the church is good news. In fact, Jesus said this uh, one time to his disciples. He says, when you come and follow me, often what will happen is you'll have to give up things. Um, And that is, by the way, true today as well. Now, it was true for the disciples in maybe a unique way. And this morning we have to say it's true for some of our brothers and sisters around the world in a way that it's not for us. And we should be thankful that we have such blessing. But nevertheless, even here, even now, if you really follow Jesus, like, now I'm not talking about just say you do, but if you get serious about Jesus, you're going to lose some things. You're going to put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable. Uh, relationships might evaporate on you or might turn on you. But here's what Jesus said to his disciples. He who or she who leaves behind lands, homes, uh, husbands, wives, fathers, sons, for my sake in the gospel will receive a hundredfold houses, family, wives, husbands, now in this life and in the one to come. What was he talking about there? Rosaria Butterfield in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. 
says that Jesus is talking about nothing less than the church there and our shared fellowship together. And that if we're not actually having you know, a shared fellowship together, we are de- denying the gospel. Because the gospel comes with a house key. Uh, part of the gospel is that you, get, you belong now. You're a fellow citizen with the saints. You're a member of not my household, not your household, but God's household. And if you're going to have to give up things. People are going to turn against you, perhaps, but you're going to gain 100 more friends in its place. Isn't that good? That's the first thing. Just the first way that the church is good news. The second thing that Paul talks about here is the pattern of the church. Uh, and I'm getting this uh, from the next verse. Uh, look at verse 20. Paul says, the household of God, which just like in English, the word household can mean two things. It can mean the actual building, the house, or it can mean the people who live in the house, the family. Household has kind of a double meaning. And so Paul uses it both ways. He says, the household of God, as in the family of God you're a member of, but now he switches it in verse 20 to start talking about the structure of God's house. And he said that when God built the church, and it was God who built it, not people, but God, he built it in a certain order. Uh, Every time you build something, in fact, you have to follow a certain order or a certain pattern. Uh, There's a house being built by a friend of mine, actually right down the street here, just two streets over. I've been watching it every day as I ride this street about 40 times a day for various reasons. I've been watching the little incremental changes. Um, you don't call out the roofing guy before you move the dirt. You don't. I mean, you just, we wouldn't do that. You don't call out uh, after you've already put the roof on. You don't call out the foundation guy. Now, there's a, there's a very specific order that must be followed to build something. And here it says, look, look at verse 20. God built the church... On the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The first thing God did when he built the church is he laid a foundation and he placed the cornerstone. The foundation goes along the bottom. This is the way they used to build back then. Foundation would go on the bottom. They would dig deep to lay it so that it was very solidly attached to rock down there. And they would put a cornerstone, usually a very large stone that would go at the corner of the structure. And this was back before like mortar and things. And so when they built with stones, they literally had to cut them exactly to fit each stone because they just rested on each other. They didn't mortar them together. They just placed them. Sometimes they might mud over the outside, but they didn't put anything between the stones. And so the cornerstone had to be perfect. Had to be the exact shape, the exact you know, levelness, the exact size. And every other stone that came later had to be chiseled perfectly to match it. So that as the, you know, the stones start getting built, it stays even and it stays structurally sound. The cornerstone meant a lot. Today, cornerstones are just kind of symbolic. You know, they put them out there and break a champagne bottle over it and, you know, dedicate the building or whatever. Maybe that's a ship that you break the champagne bottle. But at any rate, you know what I'm talking about. They dedicate the cornerstone. Back then, it was so much more than dedication. The cornerstone was structural. And it was perfect. Notice who it says, or how it says, really, God laid that foundation in that cornerstone. 
He took the apostles and the prophets and he made them the foundation. The foundation, by definition, doesn't have to be relayed every generation or every day. It's already laid and it's going to stay laid and there it is. Everything else is just building on it. Now, what does he mean by apostles and prophets? Well, we, we know what apostles were. Apostles were the men that God chose, uh, that Jesus chose personally to represent him. There were only about 12 or so of them when it was all said and done, uh, give or take, depending on how you count them. Uh, there weren't many of them. They were given special gifts. Uh, they received God's word directly from Jesus, and they shared it with the world. That was the foundation of the church. Never has to be laid again. It has been done. Everything else we're doing is supposed to f- build on top of that. Not only that, Jesus himself was laid down by God as the chief cornerstone, the perfect stone around which every other stone, and that means me and you who are believers, every other stone gets cut to fit and laid to rest on Jesus' primary load-bearing capacity. What does this mean? The apostles and the prophets were, by definition, the carriers of God's word to lay it as the foundation of the church. Jesus himself is the word of God made flesh, laid down as the cornerstone. What does this mean? When you join the church, one of the good things about it is you come under the authority of God's word and God's word alone. You say, hold on. You said good news and authority in the same sentence. And that is a no-no. They don't go together, right? Or do they? Or do they? Well, think, think a little bit about the foundation and cornerstone analogy a little bit. I mean, what if the foundation of a house was laid and the contractor just kept sending more foundation people? And all they kept doing was just putting another foundation on another foundation on another foundation on another. What would happen? First of all, it would be extremely bizarre. And everybody would see how bizarre it is, and that builder would have a terrible reputation. But also, I'll tell you what it would not be. A house. It would just be a giant block of concrete eventually that rose up in a grotesque way you know, above everything else. And it would probably eventually start to fall apart because it's not meant to do that. And so when you join the church, our job as church members is not to come in and invent things. It's not to come in and figure out what we want, want or like best with our lives and with our following of Jesus. We get to set the terms, and this is our place. Now, the, now the church is a place where you come in and bow and submit, not to me by any means, but to God, to the Word of God. And that is the most healthy thing for a human being to do. Sometimes it's accused, Christians are sometimes accused of, well, you accept the authority of the Bible, that means you must have quit thinking a long time ago. You you sort of let go of critical questions and you lost your critical thinking skills and all you do is just blindly follow what an ancient book told you. I want to suggest a different way of seeing it. I want to suggest that coming underneath authority, learning how to answer to another, 
is so far away from checking your mind at the door and not asking questions, it is actually more like finally finally finding a foundation to stand on. Finally finding a foundation to stand on. Finally stopping the project. I mean, how, how much do we wear ourselves out trying to figure out life on our own? Trying to referee disputes with each other or with, you know, with the world or with God even. We try to haggle things out all the time. And we have no rest because we're always feeling like we've got to figure it out and be the one to call the shots. What a restful thing to say. You know what? There's a lot of things in life I'm not going to figure out. But there's some things I do know because God told me and told us together. And I'm going to stand on those things. And from there, I'm going to be able to ask all kinds of questions, explore all kinds of things. But I'm going to keep my feet standing on the foundation. And, and belonging to the church is an exercise in learning how to do that. Learning how to take your stand on God's truth. Learning how to bow down under God's greater authority. In your life, learning how, and to use the different analogy, learning how to be cut to fit Jesus. Remember, the other stones would be, they didn't have machines back then that cut stones. They had to chisel them. And they would lay them beside the cornerstone and make sure they were chiseled perfectly to fit with the cornerstone. Now, that sounds painful if. The analogy is, I'm the stone, and you're the stone that's getting cut to fit Jesus. But y'all, it was also painful for Jesus to be laid down as the cornerstone. And he took that pain for us. And in the pain, he knew there was an infinite amount of goodness to come. And so, in the pain of being cut to fit Jesus and, and brought underneath his voice, there's also a blessing of finally fitting somewhere. And not just somewhere. Fitting in the house of God where he dwells. So thirdly this morning, I want to look at the purpose of the church. We see that in uh, verses 21 and 22. Paul says the the church was built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, uh, Christ the cornerstone, in whom, in Christ, the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also, he's saying, you Ephesians, this is true about you too, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. What is God doing with the church? Why does he, why does he gather us together as Christians rather than just letting us be alone? Uh, Why does he gather us into a community that's under authority rather than just a community that we get to decide whatever we want to do? Here's what it is. God is building his house here with us, in us, his temple. One of my favorite uh, writers and thinkers, his name is C.S. Lewis. I've read this to you before, but it's such a good analogy He says, I think this is in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. Imagine your life as a house. God comes in to rebuild the house. At first, you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. 
And you already knew these jobs needed doing. And so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. (laughs) And does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. See, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But God is building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. Now, you can think about that individually, and that is true of your life individually, but you can think about that of us collectively as well. God is here to build something far, far more than we ever bargained for. When you join the church, you think maybe you're just becoming a part of a nice, feel-good social club of like-minded people. And that's, that's all right, because that's part of it. But you won't be here long, hopefully, before you recognize God's doing something quite a bit different than that. And I know it because it hurts. I know it because unlike a social club of like-minded people, it's a little awkward and uncomfortable sometimes. And there's a lot of mess going on. Messy people are coming in, and I'm a messy person, and we're just messing each other up. And then the Word of God comes down, you know, and and I'm messed up even more. I realize even more when I hear God's Word how messed up we are. What is God doing? What is he doing with all that? He's building a palace for himself. When God comes to live in a place, when he comes to choose a place to live, that place has to be prepared for him. Just like God said to Solomon, you built the house in, in terms of the stones, but let me tell you, here's how you really get the house built. This is how the house gets built. My people come together and pray and turn from their sin and seek my face, and then I come and heal the land. And y'all, that is what we're here for. That's what we're here for. That's why I say that the church is about so much more than what we do for God. It's actually more about what God is doing in us. It's not so much what we're building together as what we are being built into together by him. A temple, a place where God dwells, a place where God is worshipped, a place where his spirit has free reign, a place where people can be transformed by the work of the spirit. One writer named Yuval Levin, who's a, he's an American Jewish thinker, and uh, I've read a few of his books um, they're very interesting. He, he used to work for um, <clears throat> in the White House of George W. Bush, I think it was. He was one of his advisors. Uh, and I, in the worship bulletin today, I gave you a quote from him, which I think is really very helpful to think about this. He says, and he's not just talking about church. He's talking about all institutions in, in society. He says, we have moved from thinking of institutions as molds that shape people's characters and habits towards seeing them as platforms that allow people to be themselves and to display themselves before the wider world. Translation. We treat the church and other, like the family and the government and everything that we do, we treat it as if it's there to celebrate us rather than to form us into something different. 
In other words, we think that we're just being made into a cottage that we already had designed ourselves. But God is here to build a palace beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. And so when you're signing up to be a Christian, you're signing up to be a part of the church. And when you're doing that, you're signing up to be chiseled. Uh, not, just a, uh, not just an upgrade, but a makeover, a shakedown, uh, a complete top-to-bottom, inside-out renovation. That's what we're doing. Think about this. In closing, this is from a man named Richard Koken. He says, remember three glorious spiritual dimensions of your church. And I'll say this to greater hope this morning. You're welcomed into the precious family of God, so love these people deeply. You're being built upon the foundation of the scriptures, so listen to the teaching carefully. And you're being constructed as a dwelling of the Spirit of God, so be holy in the way you behave. <laughs>